ceiling is the roof. The roof is the ceiling. I'm Mike Marshall. That is Bobby Corella. Bobito. Corella Bear. None of these are That's the only ones quite I got for you. sanctioned nicknames. They're verified. That, that's okay. They got the blue check mark. Those are blue check check mark nicknames. In, maybe in your head. I don't, I don't know about reality, but... Well, I'm your boss, so they're your nicknames now. Jeez. <laughs> it is 4-9-2020. Um, and uh, as you might remember, something pretty fun happened one year ago today uh, that we were a big part of. Um, so that's the subject of this podcast is the one, the only, Dirk Werner Nowitzki, um, who played his last home game one year ago today. This episode is brought to you by Texas Ford Dealers, and thank you for that. Thank you for being a part of the entire day. Um, I don't know if we're going to do this every single year. If we're going to, 4-9 is just going to be like our Texas national holiday. Maybe I can talk to some people in the government about we should get to work off. Honestly, yeah. I mean. What is it? All right, we do Columbus Day. What did he do? Yeah, yeah, nothing. Yeah, absolutely nothing. Dude sat on a boat stuff. for a few months. Dirk played basketball yeah. for twenty-one years. Yeah, exactly. Um, so maybe we'll uh, petition to get four nine a, a holiday, but also big dicks. I'm finally going to cut my hair, so everybody be on the lookout for that. Um, uh, we should just push back all the Dirk stuff to tomorrow. Then we don't want to upstage you. <clears throat> yeah, I didn't. I didn't want to. I didn't want to do it on the same day, but it's it's the time has come. Mm. I trimmed the beard this morning because it was looking a little, um, I don't know, like uh, someone that's going to chase you in a scary movie. It was getting that length. Um, so I had to give it a little, little trim <laughs> around the edges. It's looking pretty look great, too. We're doing this on uh, on webcam. Yeah, I got this like gray runway that's happening <laughs> from like the tip of my chin that just goes here, which is... Which is rad. Can't wait till that happens to you. Um, <laughs> but anyway, 4-9, uh, 2019 was the date. The last uh, home game for the all-time greatest Dallas Maverick, Dirk Nowitzki. Um, I still don't think we'll ever see a player quite like him. So the this the topic of this podcast is Dirk, but if there's 21 years and there's just an abundance of topics to run off and get lost into, I figured we should start on how today came along or came together um because i think it turned out about as cool and as special as it could for fans and almost everybody involved for me definitely um i had a big part in it obviously he is the biggest part like there's no, none of this happens there's not a moment to celebrate if you're not one of the greatest players ever in the nba um and one of the greatest humans ever but um People are interested in how that night came together because I think it's something they'll remember for the rest of their lives. So um, I remember in December, probably, of 2018, um, we had a meeting, and the meeting was just labeled, I think, 4-9. And so, like, dirt next to it. And um, we all had kind of pinpointed. We didn't have any signaling yet that he was actually going to retire. That's the weirdest thing about this entire story, is nobody knew he was actually not going to play another home game ever again until he said it um, 20 minutes, 20-something minutes after the game, uh, whenever he finally took the microphone uh, at the American Airlines Center. 
So then we're having a meeting about it, and everyone's trying to tiptoe around it. Like, well, if this is the last home game, we need to make it feel like the last home game of one of the greatest players in basketball history. So what does that look like? And everyone just kind of looked at each other for a little while. No one had any quick answers. I mean, I've, I feel like this is one of the things that I've been not, I haven't been thinking about the day Dirk retired for most of my professional career, but I've been thinking about his legacy and how to share that with people for as as long as I've been a Mavericks fan, which is since like 10 years old. Um, So I had a lot of ideas. Our game presentation group had a lot of ideas. Our chief marketing officer at the time had a lot of ideas. And so we just started filling up a document of things that we wanted to do. And the two most important pieces, um, well, the, the one most important piece that came along quickly was, okay, he loves this Green Day song. Like, he loves Green Day. He loves, like, Good Riddance by Green Day. Um, so we have to work that in somewhere. And whenever you're doing the game presentation side, um, you can play whatever music you want. It's it's kind of like this loophole of whenever you're in an arena, they can they have a DJ, they can play whatever they want. Um, so how does that? So I usually don't get to use licensed music at all on anything I make. Um, so there's not like a direct tie-in. There's not. I mean, very rarely if I if I edit something every once in a while that a player requests, there'll be a a Drake song or some rapper that they really like or some track that they're really into that they can then post. But as a team, we don't get to use licensed music that much. Um, I kind of thought it was funny. I was like, are you serious? Like, you really want to use <laughs> this Green Day, like, high school graduation song? Um, What's wrong with like, that? Yeah, <laughs> no, it's fine. I-, I feel fine about it now. But in my uh, super, you know, critical online man ways, I was like, really, this song? Um, and I think you and I had even put together an entire storyboard for a video similar to this um that was gonna be like a huge commercial um like a whole one one and a half minute like Budweiser commercial um and that had a Avet Brothers song in there that's what I wanted to use because I know he loves Avet Brothers um and there's a very inspirational like sappy song that they have that I really like uh, it's one of the first songs I've ever heard them uh heard of them and we wrote, like, a whole storyboard. Like, we had, like, a minute and a half of, like, just Dirk stuff trying to tell his story from, like, moment one. And we were, like, going to get actors and, like, shoot new scenes. And this was... That was early in the season, wasn't it? That was, like, Yeah, that might October, have even November. been, like, preseason. That was a really, really, yeah. really early project. But the whole, the whole situation was so tough because, I mean, like you were saying earlier, even, like, when the Mavs traded for Porzingis, that was January 31st. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was still kind of questioning in my mind. Like they got Porzingis, Dirk might come back and play another year yeah. with this guy because he, you know, they're so they're kind of. I don't know if they were tight, but you know, I know he'd think it was pretty awesome to play with them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's it's really important to kind of re reemphasize that the entire season, really up until probably like when Doc stopped the game in LA to give them an innovation and you know then every every arena started doing its own thing then it was kind of like okay it's probably it's kind of understood that this is it but 
until yeah, the then. Yeah, kind of opened after that. Yeah, I mean, everything like pre-Christmas and then into January and even like close to the All-Star break, we were like, dude, it's going to be really weird if he comes back for season 22. <laughs> so, but, but we, Thanks uh, so for we, all this. I'll see you all next week. Yeah, yeah. So we had to be really delicate about the whole thing. And, and you know, he was very tight-lipped about it. The people around him were tight-lipped, Cuban, Rick. They, uh, no one was talking about it at all. And so... You know, trying to plan this night and trying to make these videos and stuff. We're like, well, I mean, we can't really say that we're going to release it in April. We might release it in July. We might release it next April, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was was planning for this indefinite moment that we weren't sure uh, would happen this year, next year, or whenever. But, uh, yes, we were kind of shooting in the dark. Yeah, I think the the basically script and screenplay thing that we put together... Um, it would have played no matter what, I think. It's just like a celebration of Dirk and his life and how crazy his story is and um, showing those moments kind of reenacted through, you know, the, get a actor that looks like young Dirk um, and get somebody that looks like Holger and kind of like, it would be if they made a movie of Dirk's life and it was just like the key moments, right? Just like the ones that would make you understand who he was, where he comes from, how he got here. Um, and things like the big projects like that just take forever. And as every day went by, every week went by, you know, it was going to be this Budweiser thing. And they were like, well, we're not even sure if he's retiring. Um, so that'll be really weird. Um, they started, Dwayne Wade had literally already signaled that he was going to retire last dance type thing. Um, and they said, well, we're going to do this Dwayne Wade thing. Um, so just one more Dirk versus Wade instance that happened in, in history. Um, and nothing against Budweiser at all. Like, they probably made the right call. Because if they do spend, you know, 50 grand making this video, <laughs> and uh, Dirk's like, oh, thanks, guys. That was really cool. And then just comes back. It's like a big flop on their end, right? But I think it would have been good enough to play whenever. Um, and it would have been, like, breathtakingly awesome. Um, celebrating but 21 so this, seasons, which was historic. I mean, yeah, we forget about right. that. You know, the, the, that whole season was historic because no one had ever played 21 for one team. So, yep. And then the weirdness of him not playing at the beginning of the season because of his ankle surgery that he finally got. Um, I wonder if you went back and asked him. And I don't know. I don't think anybody will right on the, the interviews today. But just ask him: Would you rather have done the ankle surgery or not have done it? Would you like to have, if you knew, looking back on it now, that last season was your last year that you'll ever play in the NBA, would you rather get the ankle surgery in preseason and deal with, you know, 20 games maybe? Something like that? More than that, yeah. He didn't come back until mid-December. Yeah, it lingered. It lingered for a while um, because he had a setback. Um, Would you still want to go back and do the ankle surgery? knowing that you're going to miss 25 games. Because it was something that was, like, kind of odd. It wasn't... It, it's always weird when people call, like, optional surgeries, or they call them optional. I'm like, the man's in pain every time he's running. <laughs> like, I don't know how optional it is. And I don't know if you want to, like, get your, you know, foot shot up with numbing stuff all the time. Or just every time you jog, it hurts. But I wonder if you went back and asked him, um, would you rather have not and just played every single game? Um... I know in his, his German mentality would probably be like, yeah, I'd like to play every single game. <laughs> he tried to in year 20. He made it all the way to, what, 77, I think? 
Mm-hmm. And then they finally had to yeah. shut it down because of the ankle. Yeah. So it's clearly something I've been bothering him for like years. Um, and if the ankle surgery goes perfect, if he doesn't have that setback where the tendons start flaring up, um, that was like a week before the season, wasn't it? Like that uh, yeah, was, it was right close. on the it was, door. It was bad timing. I mean, it wasn't I his fault, I, but you know what I mean. Like it's just bad. No, timing. absolutely. Yeah, like I, I had started. I started in July, and I think he had had the surgery like the month before. And then everyone's thinking he's going to be ready for like preseason and regular season. And then he has the setback, which everybody, of course, started downplaying. Um, and we're like, well, let's just see what happens. And then you know, it's two and a half months later before you see him in an actual NBA game. Um, but so the Budweiser thing never really came to, um, that video never really came to light. <clears throat> I mean, we, we could probably still make it at some point. Like, it's still such a good story and, like, so fun. But uh, Save it for the movie, man. Yeah, for sure. We'll make a movie one day. That, that kind of that slid off the table. It just got later and later, and then it got, like, different agencies trying to shoot it. And, like, the the idea started, like, warping into something that I didn't think was... Um, we're spending that amount of money on. And then we got into, and it was getting into a situation where like me or you or somebody was going to like constantly be like managing this thing as it's being shot and put together. Um, and so it just never really came to light. But as soon as that kind of fell off, we turned all of our attention to four nine, which was probably like mid December. Um, you have this date, you have this game. How do we make it? something that has never been seen in an arena an experience that is going to top you know what the spurs did with duncan and ginobili um was really awesome that's kind of a blueprint for mo- how most teams do it um so the the most important part to me was this this video like you need to tell the story of dirk to a live in arena audience and work in this green day song um, and so I, st- I literally probably started on that video probably second week of January. Just, I think I've probably seen every piece of footage we have of him two or three times now. And I would just go through, pick these moments, put them on a timeline, and then I'd spend another hour the next day going through these clips that we these video clips some of them are labeled some of them aren't some of them are just nonsense there's a folder called Dirk somewhere there's a folder called Dirk underscore Nowitzki there's a Nowitzki folder there's a 41 folder there's a 40 moments of Dirk folder there's just like 21 years of footage as you might imagine and I'm going through that and trying to find okay what's the best three minutes I was like how long can I make this thing number one I was like the song's like uh 240 or something so I don't know if anybody noticed, but the end I kind of looped the last like last guitar part a couple times um, to give it a little bit of room because you're trying to tell 21 years in three minutes, which is just impossible to begin with. But um, so that was the task I had. Um, when did you start working on four nine stuff, and what what was it like? tip-off stuff was it like we were talking about a book for like a long time like all this stuff uh yeah i mean it went a lot of different directions um because the year before that was his 20th season and we that was the bobblehead year where we gave out 10 dirk bobbleheads throughout the year 
and uh, each one of those kind of like was uh, representative of either a, a big season, a big playoff series, a big moment, an award that he won or whatever. And so we were already kind of like in career retrospective mode in that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, and, and, and because we did, because we did all the bobbleheads the year before his 21st season, uh, you know, we were kind of consciously not focusing as much on him. Right. Uh, it was the welcome to the future. It was Luca and it was Dennis and, yeah. um, you know, we got Deandre and still had Wes and Barnes. And so, you know, the team got off to a really big start too. And so, the whole season kind of went from like this is Dirk's last run to man Dirk isn't even playing and also they're over 500 which is pretty unexpected um and then once Dirk came back obviously the narrative changed completely and it was really all about him from that point on so um that made it kind of easy but as far as that actual night I mean I don't know uh we talked about it in October the schedule comes out and you look at the last game you're thinking okay well that that might be it, just in case, you know. Oh uh, yeah, and that was that was the ticket pack, right? That was a uh, yeah. It was the last three home game ticket pack. Yeah, I mean it was you know it was a big deal. Um, and as far as actual work that I was doing, I don't really know that I was necessarily involved with all that stuff at all um, until later on, I guess. But I mean, you're always thinking about it. It's like weighing on your conscience. I get my my job is kind of different than yours in that you're you're involved in a lot more creating, and I'm kind of just like the like right now I'm wearing a Dirk jersey. Like I'm, I'm kind of just like a Mavs mascot sort of. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I'm i kind of like always trying to get in sync with people's emotions. And so anytime I was on the road, like I, I, I was on the road trip with the Mavs in, um, man, this was in November, I think. Was November? No, no, no. That, it, it was December when we went to Boston, right? Or like January. It was in January. Mm-hmm. Like January 3rd or something. We were in Boston. And uh, that was when the Garden gave him that standing ovation for like the entire fourth quarter. They were cheering him on. The Celtics were just crushing the Mavs. But the, the fans were cheering louder for Dirk than they were for their own team. And Dirk went over for whatever from the field. And it was, it was you know... He was kind of laughing about it, but I'm sure he was bumming because he always loves going to that arena, and the fans wanted to see him score and everything. And obviously they lost too, and kind of deep down he never wants it to be about him, especially when times are going bad. So there was a very like wide range of emotions that night. And I remember texting you after that night being like, man, this is, this is tough. I don't know if I could do this for a whole year because it's just it's sad and happy and just like weird. I, I don't know. It's, it was very strange. Um, and then a couple weeks later, I was at Madison Square Garden when the same exact thing happened. And I was at, um, they even did stuff for Charlotte in him. I was at all, all these places along the way. And so as all these tributes were kind of piling up, I was there and seeing how Dirk would react and how the fans were reacting and talking to Mavs fans who were at games where they only go once per year. Like in Charlotte, there were a bunch of Mavs fans at that game in Charlotte, um, I, I want to say that was on January 2nd. Um, bunch of Mavs fans in Charlotte. Who even knew? But it was it was kind of the first wave of uh, this might be it for Dirk kind of people. And so just living that through all of January and February and March down to the finish was just very strange, um, very surreal even. Um, but actual actual 41-21-1 stuff. I mean, I, I don't I don't really know uh, where my involvement began and ended it was mostly just like keeping secrets from people 
um, hearing <laughs> hearing that the big guys were going to come to the mm. game and um, I'm just telling everybody be at the game yeah sure yeah be I mean, at the game that was that was really kind of one of my main jobs promoting that game over and over and over again and stressing to people like when when the night of the actual game came like telling people in the audience in the crowd audience don't record everything on your phone like this stuff will be on youtube just like experience this this is like a once in a lifetime thing so put your phone away you can find this on the internet afterward and just pay attention to everything that we're doing because this is going to be one of the nights that you talk about forever and so you know i i kind of like had heard through the grapevine that that this was going to be it um earlier than i guess some other people would have so i don't know i was just trying to do do right by Dirk and do right by kind of his legacy and also respect the way that he wanted to go out which was not necessarily the whole circus uh as he calls it of of kind of the farewell tour but while still respecting fans' wishes too and that's kind of the whole thing that was I guess most interesting about the whole thing is that I don't think Dirk wanted any of it, but the fans wanted all of it. And so at what point do we say, Dirk, you just got to, you got to lean into this man because people want to, people, people want this for you. People want to do, and also for themselves too. I think that's kind of what makes athletes so special is that sure. I mean, they're people, their emotions matter. I, w- I would say that Dirk's emotions matter to me way more than anybody else I've ever met in my life, including you, except for maybe like my family. But, you know, the sports is something that we experience together. And so you're trying to wrap all of this stuff up where like you want to respect Dirk's privacy and how he wants to leave it open ended. But you also want to like let fans experience these moments uh, because they don't know if they'll ever be able to again. And so the whole thing was just kind of tough. Uh, to to balance but eventually it was like man screw it it's it's like mid to late march now and uh Mm -hmm. it's it's time so let's just lean all the way in and 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 get things moving a little bit so i don't really know if that answered your question but i i wasn't really like involved in the creative aspect of it at all i was mostly just like trying to tell his story and share and other people's experiences of it i think his perception and idea of it and just like being comfortable with the spotlight being on you even if it's just one night I think that kind of changed throughout the season right uh the way you feel in October versus mid-March is going to be different um I think if you asked him at the beginning of the season he would have said hell no like no don't do any of this like this doesn't make any sense. And then if you asked him now, though, he, I think he would say, "I'm so happy, happy that happened. that happened." Yeah, I mean, he more than anything, like he he wants to make the fans happy. Like there are people that sp- he gets it. He totally gets it from the ground floor up. Of there's a person that is working a job somewhere and they're spending money that they could spend on something else to come see you play basketball because they enjoy that. They that makes them forget about <laughs> the freaking coronavirus or whatever's happening in the world at that moment, right? And he, he understands that. He gets that. Because he is a fan of other players, obviously, like we learned. So he doesn't want the spotlight to be on him more than anyone else. There have been 24, two dozen instances of 
asking him to do something and him going, man, that's a great idea. I just, I think it'll overshadow the other players. So I don't really want to do it. Um, and it's a decline, but it's a decline for the right reason. Um, but I think that and <laughs> him wanting to make the fans happy are like on the same level of like a 10 in his priorities. And at some point, just wanting to make the fans happy took priority for him. Um, and so I think he became a little bit more comfortable with it, a little bit more um, acceptable of the things we were trying to do that night. Because he had to know something was up. We were doing so much stuff, like just nonstop. And, you know, um, the people on his end that were helping us get stuff um, were clearly, it would clearly be like someone would ask him what his favorite song is or something. And then, you know, it would end up having to interview him, making him talk about this favorite song that came from a completely different source of information. So he knows everyone's communicating at some point. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he didn't care. I don't know. I don't know how he pay, how much he pays attention to that stuff. But the one thing I'm, I'm thinking that pops up in my mind that I thought I, like, gave away um, was he went to do some... I think when they went, they played the Blazers in Portland. He went and did some Nike thing at the Nike campus up in, uh, up in Oregon. And so some of his people were there or they had set it up. Um, I don't know if it was an interview or I still haven't seen what they made of it. I don't think it was like the Nash narration thing that they did, uh, which was awesome. Uh, the story of Dirk or whatever that animated thing was, that was rad. Um, but somebody asked him like, okay, top five players of all time. Um, and, I wasn't there. No one from the team was there. And he says, you know, Kemp, Barkley, uh, Detlef, Larry Bird, and Scottie Pippen. And he says, you know, I loved MJ, but, you know, that's the obvious one. That's on everybody's top five. Um, so he kind of gave a top six. And then literally like two weeks later, I'm having to make him go change after practice, come back out to the court, sit down, and talk to me for 10 minutes about these five players. About Kemp, Barkley, Pippen, Bird, um, and Pippen. And so I thought at some point he was going to add this up. That like, all of these people that are around me are talking to all the other people that are around me on the other side. The back of the house is talking to the front of the house. And they're making me record things that has to do with all these players. Um, so, I don't, we'll get to the how the guys got there, but that became, that was a, a push pretty early on. It was, man, that might've been February of, Hey, we're going to try and get all these guys at the game. Like that'll blow his mind. Like if we make, and we know, you know, sent knows enough people, Mark knows enough people, um, all the other important people in the organization know enough people around the league to make a phone call and be like, Hey, Sean Kemp, do you want to come be a guest of honor at Dirk's final game, final home game? Hey, Scotty Pippen. Um, hey, Detlef. Um, Larry freaking Bird, you know. Uh, Chuck was probably an easy one. Barkley probably would have been there no matter what. But I think Barkley was, I don't know if he was going back and forth between Wade. I think Wade had his final home game that night too. Um, so there was like a decision for people to make. And those five guys obviously chose Dirk. Because I think we asked earlier, um, 
I think Michael Jordan was asked. That that ask was made um, for <laughs> MJ to be one of the guests of honor at this game. Um, and I think the exact response that was put out there was, that's the same night as Wade's game. Not that I'm picking Dwayne Wade. It said if I go to either, it looks like I'm picking one of them. So I'm not going to go to either. Thank you for the invitation. Love the guy. Just not going to go. Um, it'll it'll be weird. Um, and we were almost, I think we were almost to the point of like, hey, could you go for first half of this game and then fly out for the other game? You know, that type of thing. Like willing to like do whatever it would take to get Michael Jordan there. Um, but completely understandable uh, why it worked out the way it did. I don't remember the date. I could probably pull up emails and figure out when the thing shifted from Dirk's final home game to we're calling this thing 41-21-1 and turned more into a a lot of the outward marketing stuff like the commercials and what we called it and all of that what made it great like the (laughs) the extra sauce that came around the game and leading up to it wasn't a lot of that wasn't me I didn't have anything to do with a lot of that was um, Jerome and Iris and Matt Hoffer um and Dale was doing a lot of it, um, the head of our creative studio, and just thinking like, okay, what is like the most legendary, legacy-filled dirt campaign that could possibly happen? And some of his people suggested forty-one twenty-one-one. You know, his number of twenty-one seasons. There's only one person that's ever done it. There's only one person that's like Dirk, right? Um, and that's. That's the pillar, right? That's the that's the cornerstone, and then you start building everything else around it. Which every we kind of worked in reverse. We were already kind of like building what the night was going to be like, and how we how we wanted that to flow, how that was going to work uh, before we even had like the campaign idea. But now you have now you have something to lean on. It's forty one twenty one one, which at first I didn't I didn't really like it. <laughs> Honestly, at first I was like, what? Like, is this a? Are you a computer? Are you talking to one, ones and zeros to everyone? Like. <laughs> Like they'll get it. Just like I think it, our it idea has was big IP address energy. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Whenever you're at work and you can't get to MySpace, so you're putting in IP addresses. <laughs> um, I was like, I think the one you and I, what we were gonna call that other thing we'd worked on. What our idea was, what forty one forever. I think. Uh, yeah, it was a. Uh, I, I think I. Yeah, I remember that. It was a, a four and a yeah. one, and the one was also a yeah. E. So, like, forever, yeah. 41, forever kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that would have worked really well. It's whatever. That. It's still a, You got a good memory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's what we had put together, and I thought that made a lot of sense, and people still use stuff like that, but it's kind of like on every single outlet to kind of think up their own. Like, I know that... Dazone did a video of Dirk that was really good, like a Dallas video, and it was like all 4-1. They did the Dallas and the 4-1, um, which was really cool. I was like, damn it, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> but, um, yeah, so we're we're chugging along. The Green Day video is coming along. Um, at some point we realize, like, these all the, his five favorite players are going to be in attendance. Um, so there comes another video, right? It's, okay, you need an intro for these guys. Um, and so I start working on that. 
and I have a recording of him talking about each one of these guys in a minute to 90 seconds long on each, right? And he's like, Sean Kemp was a crazy dunker, like I really loved his style. Barkley was just a badass Team USA stuff I remember a lot. And he's explaining all these players, and you've probably seen the video. I call it Influences, because um, it's the five guys that shaped his love of basketball the most. And so that video, and all of these, are, this is not like, I don't know how to describe this to somebody that doesn't like edit or hasn't worked on some movie or long form um, video project for a matter of months. But I'm not exaggerating when I say there's probably 20 plus different versions of the Green Day 41211 version uh, video and the influences video. I would just edit it. This is what it needs to sound like. This is what it needs to look like. Tighten it up. Okay. Edit it some more. Tighten it up. There's one beat off. It doesn't sound right. Tighten it up. Um, oh, would it be better if he kind of entered on this? Tighten it up. I don't like, I don't like the song. Like, there's probably 20 plus versions of each video. Um, and now there's even more because I had to redo a couple of them for tonight. Um, because we don't want to use licensed music, the Green Day song. Um, so, um, the trickiest part about the 41211 Green Day video was not all of Dirk's career is like winning championships and um, just straight to the top, right? He didn't do a Jordan-like first season, make the playoffs, second season, be in the Eastern Conference Finals, third season, win the championship, right? It didn't work that way. There were ups and downs. There were, oh, he's pretty good. Oh, he's one of the best players in basketball. Oh, he tears his knee against the Spurs. Um, You get knocked back down. Oh, you're building back up. There'd be like two really good important seasons and your confidence is back to like oh we're one of the best in the in the world at this and then you know the 06 finals happens and then you know 07 against the warriors happen and your confidence is just shattered you're just like crestfallen you're just like oh my god is this thing over like can we and everybody probably said the same thing to each other after after those playoff losses or those injuries or whatever it's like can we win a championship with this guy being our best player? Yeah, his, it's just natural. His story became progressively more disappointing and full of failure right. and almost humiliating. It was heartbreaking. Yeah, it was heartbreaking, I mean, man. He's 23, 24 years old, and he hurts his knee in the conference finals, and you're like, oh, they'll be back. They'll be back. Yeah. And then a couple years later, they go to the finals, and they blow to a lead. And then the next year yep. they have one of the best seasons of all time and they get bounced in the first round. And then they're just irrelevant after that, which is almost even worse. Like they're still winning 50 games, but they're yep. losing as a two seed in the first round or they're losing as a seven seed to the Hornets. And it's just right. like, man, he started, he started, his rookie year was not very good, but then he was like, he was next. He was like Giannis. Yep. The, the way that he was perceived whenever he was 21, 22 years old was this is something that we've never seen before. He is about to take over the NBA. And then within four or five years, he was like, dude, that, that guy is a choke artist. And it, yeah, it's impossible sure. to gloss over that five-year run of failure. Yeah. That's, the thing, yeah. that's the thing about him and about his story that is so unique. And, and from a very, very early 
moment in this whole thing. I mean, this was like, you know, obviously I'm sure that you've been thinking about this stuff forever, but like at the beginning of that season, when we're thinking about how are we trying to wrap this up, it was very important to stress that you have to highlight the failure because that's part of what makes his success so triumphant and memorable and special and relatable to so many people because for all of us, there is so much failure and embarrassment and shame on the road to something that we can finally feel proud of. And and you don't achieve anything in the world without first looking like a total idiot. And that's something that is like so just... I, I know it's not unique to Dirk because every player, even LeBron, has failed in grand fashion. And in fact, his biggest failure was Dirk's biggest success. But... I mean, this is something that I, I feel like is kind of unique to Dirk among all-time great athletes is that he went from truly, like, zero. I mean, he was making all-star teams and all-NBA teams, but public perception, media perception, even player perception is this guy is a choker. And he he went from that to this guy is had one of the greatest playoff performances we have ever seen. and And you can't... You cannot properly communicate to somebody how special his success was without first grabbing them by the head and saying, look at how bad things were. And and so you, you, you can't gloss over it. So I, I'm glad that in that video and obviously in, uh, in many other people's tributes to him too that you have to mention the, the valleys because otherwise the peaks just are not as important. Yeah, the, the sweet isn't as sweet if you don't have – sour right so he i mean first year's rough next couple years the the jazz series number one is like okay like he's he's something he's he's like all nba something he was on the upward and then it's i mean yeah and then it's the spurs series yeah yeah first five years like your confidence is to this level of like oh he might be like mvp caliber um and then oh six happens and then 07 happens, and then you just get bullied by the Hornets. And, man, you're just like, has the game already, like, did we miss the window? Has the league already changed and morphed into a way that, you know, this incredible player can't succeed in the way that we had all, I mean, it's just up, 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 and then just crater for... And it's not cratering. I mean, most of the games they played, they won. <laughs> it's just like the important ones that they played in that three-year stretch all ended the same way. They all ended the same way. Miami was, you know, whatever you want to think of that finals. Um, I 100% remember where I was when that started slipping away, where I was whenever I was convinced it was done, and where I was whenever the game ended and Dwayne Wade threw the ball in the air. Like, I remember all those games um, and how, yeah, we were probably ahead of our timeline a little bit um, for him and for the franchise. Like, I thought in terms of natural progression, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't know if that team, our team was good enough. Um, and that's something Dallas fans have always fought with in the Dirk era. It's like this confidence crisis of, I think we're good. I think he's really good. But what am, what am I watching, like, a really good player or am I watching, like, the best player? Um, and that's just something of living with a player's career. Like, we're going to do the same thing with Luka pretty soon. 
Like, he's going to have expectations as soon as next year of, like, man, if he's not the MVP, what's wrong? You know? Because that's how sports, that's how sport goes. Um, but telling those moments and highlighting them in a way where everybody knows what it is, but you don't have to rub your nose in it. Um, so I, I was like, the San Antonio moment was super important to me. And it was a good, like, knocking off the tracks a little bit. Because he was so spectacular, like, second and third season. Um, whenever it ended, it was like, he has some tape out there that, like, uh, that's the stuff I showed, like, the guys in, at Media Day. That video we made. It was, have you ever seen this? Like, do you remember this? I know that's the year 2001 and you were, you know, three years old. But do you know what Dirk used to be? Like, do you know what kind of player that was that lived in that body at one point? And he's just, like, yamming on people and you know, putting Carl Malone on posters and just insane. Um, so for me, the most important part, and when you're making a tribute, a tribute video for somebody, air quotes, you usually don't put the lowest moments <laughs> of their career in there. <laughs> like that's not something you do, but this is a little bit different. So as soon as I made the first copy of it and everyone was like, yeah, that's right. That's right. Like you need those moments in there. You need them walking off the court um, game six after the Heat win. You don't have to show the whole thing. You don't have to rub everyone's nose in it. You don't got to make it a Dwayne Wade highlight tape. Um, and because it's a buildup, it's a cratering, it's another buildup, it's another cratering, right? And then you're, you're to the point where nobody, you've seen this before. No matter how far they get in the playoffs, you don't believe they're going to be the, the team that wins the last game of the NBA season. Something is always going to come up. If it's not the refs, then it's Dwayne Wade, then it's, um, you know, this crazy Warriors team, or it's this Hornets team with, you know, a couple generational players and Chris Paul and Tyson and David West bullying people. Something's going to come up. We're going to be the victim. Dirk's going to be hanging his head, and we're going to lose this stinking thing. And... I don't know what moment it was for you during the 11 playoff run. But when we like put that dagger straight in the Lakers heart, I was like, this is not the same. These, these dudes are not only playing to their max capability and playing better together than any other team in basketball. They are playing desperate and ravenous. Like they know this is it. And that's very powerful. It was a side, that particular game was a side of the Mavs that I don't really think that we'd ever seen. <laughs> Where, you know, there, there were games along the way. Winning game five in Utah in 2001 was like, whatever. That's a, that's a cool sports upset, fine. But also I think Carl Malone was like nine for 30 in that game. So it was almost like, you know, eh, whatever, whatever. 2003, no. they beat the Blazers in Game 7, but they had lost the previous three games. They nearly blew a 3-0 lead, and they finally played well when their yep. back was against the wall. Um, you know, so th they'd won, like, big games, especially in elimination games, several times throughout Dirk's career. But that was the first one, you're right, where it was like, dude, this is, this is just different. This is a different style of team. They had a team down on the mat, and they – they put the spur on their neck and did not let go. I mean, that's that's what that game was. And I remember after that game, too, I was thinking, man, 
you know, they they kind of they beat the Blazers, whatever. They beat they won game one in L.A. Kind of Kobe missed a game winner, you know, coin flip. Got, People didn't pick lucky. them to pick to win that Blazers series. Yeah, no, 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 they didn't at all. They didn't at all. Dude, I remember I was doing DallasBasketball.com podcast at that time. It was like my first year doing it. And I was the only person of, like, the five people to pick the Mavs to beat the Blazers. I thought the Mavs would win that series until game four. And after that, I was like, "This is yeah. it's it. It's over. They're, they're done in six. Was that Brandon Roy yeah, game? Brandon Roy game. There's no, there's yeah. no way that they're going to win. We've seen this before. And it is, it's going to be the same old crap. But they, they didn't. They won that, they won that uh, next game and they won game six. And uh, it's all good. But the game six win was big because from the time that they eliminated Phoenix in 2006 until the time that they eliminated the Blazers in Game 6 in 2011. I think they won two road playoff games in a five-year wow. stretch. Um, and it might only be one. I might, I might, I might be high on that. Um, they just didn't win on the road. I mean, that's something they just didn't do. And and they finally did. They, they beat the Blazers in Game 6, and then they won the next two in L.A. So you're thinking, all right, this is already something pretty interesting. But then Game 4, after you blow out the Lakers by 5,000 points, I mean, going into the playoffs, I kind of had the Mavs-Lakers series circled as the winner of that wins the finals, mm-hmm. and thinking that it would probably be the Lakers. Um, yeah. And then the Mavs won, and I was like, do I still believe that's true? Because I kind of do. I, I don't see anybody mm-hmm. from the West beating them right now, and I'm not really sure that the Heat can do it. But even then, I was like, okay, yeah, you're in the finals now. The Heat are going to the Heat are gonna win. I mean, they, they have Yeah, the, the OKC series class, was... You know? The OKC series, I was just like, they're ahead of their curve. They aren't quite ready. Um, but also, I mean, I don't know. I didn't think Westbrook, Westbrook back then was completely different Westbrook to me. Um, I just don't think he played as physical or as, as like, angry. But James Harden was Durant still, was the still Durant. Too. Yeah, James Harden was a real problem. Um, but I, I don't know why. I just had, like, ultimate confidence going into that OKC series. Um, I think we just matched up really well with them when you can throw like almost prime tricks defensively at KD and OKC had so many problems with like just too many cooks and like they would just like, okay, this is a Westbrook possession. This is a Durant possession. This is a Harden possession. And then Harden would rarely play with either one of those guys. And they just, I don't know. They just didn't have it. They just weren't, they were like that team that's so talented like, whenever you're playing pickup, and you're like, good God, these guys are going to kick our ass. And then you move the ball, like, five times better than they do, and you just make smart plays over and over. And it's like, oh, yeah, we're up by five right yeah, now. But even then, the Mavs still um, had to come back to win game four and game five. And game yeah. one was close. Yep. And game three came down. The Mavs had a huge lead, and then the Thunder just kind of slowly carved it into it. So it was a really close series just based on talent alone. That's when you knew, like, man, if these yeah. guys ever play again, then they're probably going to – they're probably going to be the better team, and a year later they yeah. proved it. But I think the Mavs actually kind of got – I don't know if we want to go totally 2011 retrospective here, but I think they kind of got lucky that the Thunder beat the Grizzlies in the second round because the Grizzlies had mm. the Mavs number that year. And uh, yeah. also, I, I this might be like a really dumb take or a wild take, but I'm feeling brave right now. Um, I think that the Bulls might have been – a tougher finals matchup for the Mavs mm. than the Heat were. Interesting. Because the, the, the Bulls, I believe, won both games head-to-head that year, and that's just a two-game sample, so it doesn't really matter. But 
they had some suffocating defense, and Derrick Rose was unbelievable. I mean, and, and now the Mavs did have just a masterful game plan for LeBron, so I trust you know Rick Carlisle and those guys to come up with a game plan to try and contain D. Rose, but nobody else could do it. So I, I, don't, I don't know. It, it would have been that would have been a really really tough series. Um, you know, the real their real opponent was very difficult too. But either way, yeah, I think that Eastern Conference Finals was more popular than the Western Conference Finals that year. So it's almost like looking back, it's like hard to grasp particular moments from that OKC series, which I probably need to go back and rewatch. Um, Some good games, man. Yeah, but it was almost like we were like, after you beat the Lakers like that, it's almost like you're playing with house money, like for a minute there. And then you're like, oh, wait, there's a lot of work to do. Okay. Um, but yeah, the Eastern, the, the Heat and the Bulls in the Eastern Conference Finals was like, that's that was what everyone was talking about. That's what a, your average NBA fan, your ESPN was talking about at the time. And they would be like, oh, yeah, and the Mavs came back in game four. Like, that's how it, we got, it got treated. Um, but I, I, I wanted the heat. From the moment that happened, I wanted the heat. From the moment I'm taking my talents to South Beach, from the moment, not five, not six, not seven, a, not eight, the second that happened, I was like, I want those dudes. I did too until LeBron and D-Wade were punching each other up 15 in game two. And and yeah. maybe this is years of watching the Mavs and rooting for the Mavs and, like, you know, crying in my mom's car on the way home from game six when I was you know, <laughs> 15 years old and, and they'd lost in 06. But um, I was like, man, this is over. This might even be a sweep. Like, this is – they're so done right now, down 15, just getting yeah. smoked. And, uh, you know, that's kind of whenever they proved to me for what my opinion's worth, but also to, like, literally everybody else on the planet that this isn't the same old Mavs. You know, this, this is a different team. Um, but, yeah, I wanted the Heat, too, until until we got them. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, yeah. this might have been a mistake. Right. I was like, eh, maybe I'll be – a little bit sorry for what I asked for on this one. Yeah. That's that's fine. I'm willing to do that. Not that anybody cares what I wanted out of a out of a final series. But well, I do. Um, yeah, as 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 a whole, I think we all were kind of like, you know what? If you're gonna if you're gonna go to the finals and you're gonna get your your title, let's do it against the biggest and the baddest. Like line them up. Let's go. Um, that's that's also the perfect storybook element right you you're yeah. you're finally conquering you're vanquishing your nemesis and that mm-hmm. type of thing just doesn't happen you know like everybody Never. glorifies the the lakers and celtics finals from the 80s but like they've been playing finals against each other since the 60s so who even like it's not even yeah. that big of a, it cool it's two titans going at it year after year that's fine mm-hmm. but like dirk had to wait five years to get revenge yeah. against the, yep. the single guy who D Wade kind of like represented the downturn for Dirk, you know? Yeah. So to get, you, you don't really get second chances at, at redemption mm-hmm. and stuff. And, and, and Dirk was able to get his, uh, you couldn't like, you could, you would cook this up in a, in a movie and people would say it's corny. You know, Dirk's whole yeah. career is like too, too Hollywood to even be a Hollywood movie. Oh yeah, people would say that that's yeah, I can't suspend disbelief to enjoy this. But whenever you lived it, 
And, you know, you followed this guy since draft day and the press conference. Um, it was just perfect. Like, there's no other way to do it. Like, if Dwayne Wade and LeBron and Chris Bosh were Cavaliers at that moment when we played the Cavs in the finals, like, if they had chosen a different team to go to, it wouldn't be the same. No, not at all. Or if all three of them didn't go, if it's just like LeBron and Wade and Bosch isn't there, that's when I was like, okay, guys, what are we doing here? How did we allow this to happen? <laughs> who, who, who forgot to, like, change the setting on the, on the league or something? Like, you can't have three max players go, like, three all-NBA players go to the same team in the same offseason. Um, and, of course, it, it worked out for them, whatever, two titles. Um, two, or not, not, not three, right, for the Heat? Correct, not three. Two. Yeah, the Spurs. Not one, not three. Not just two. Yes, just two. Only um, they only won two championships in a row. Yeah, only they only went to That's, four finals. Yeah, so the under, mm. the under on Dwayne Wade's line, or yeah, it was Wade that said that, right? That no, was LeBron. That was, that was Bron, yeah. yeah, yeah. So the under on his eight titles um, that he promised. Um, but yeah, it's. To me, telling the story of Dirk does not exist without those absolutely confidence-shattering moments that build up to overcoming, you know, vanquishing your demons. And, you know, I, I've watched him run off the court um, after Game 6 and head to the locker room a um, hundred times probably. And every time, all of that weight hits me of self-doubt and failure and not knowing if you're good enough to do this at some point and insecurity and you know I'm sure he thought about that every single day if I miss one or two too many shots it doesn't matter how well I play the first three quarters if I don't deliver in the fourth quarter and we don't win this finals or if we get swept or if you know, the refs get heavy influence again. It doesn't matter. People are just going to, it's just going to be set in stone that I'm a failure. There was, it was it. You're on the edge of the cliff. You were running dead speed to the edge of the cliff. And you're going to jump off and you're going to start flying. Or you're just going to fall straight down and everyone's going to think you are a failure. You never did it. You blew some leads. You those six finals, the oh seven first round, um, you know all that stuff. That's got to be. I mean, number one, it's got to be the craziest motivation that anyone's ever had. Like just natural in your workplace, like in your career motivation. Um, but also, that is extremely heavy to think about, man. Extremely, especially for a guy as mindful as him. Yeah, and it's that's that's where I was going to go too. Is that it's not just about what people think about him. The way that he views losing and failure and embarrassment and shame and all of that is that he's letting down the fans. He's letting down Dallas. He's letting down Cuban. He's letting down... And he's letting down like international players everywhere. Yeah. Like He's the greatest foreign-born player ever. And if you're telling me the greatest foreign-born player ever can't win a championship, then you're saying that every player after him that's foreign is not championship caliber. Yeah. And, and he's, that's what you're saying. He's... 
he represents so many people. I mean, he he's the guy that is always talking about how loyal Mark was to him. Yeah. Like, nor everybody views yeah. it as Dirk was loyal to the Mavs, but Dirk views yeah. it as Mark Cuban was loyal to Dirk. And yeah. Nelly's the one who drafted him, and Donnie's the one who kept him around, and Avery taught him stuff about his game, and, and Michael Finley taught him lessons. Steve Nash might have saved his career. Even Lisa Tyner in the office taught him what a, how to cash a check. Like, he plays for all of these people and carries kind of the the burden that comes along with wanting to win for them and not wanting to lose because if he does lose, he'll let them down. And all along the way, one by one, all of the people that he played for kind of almost did wrong by him, right? Steve Nash taught him lessons. Well, in 2005, Nash eliminated Dirk from the playoffs. Michael Finley was the veteran that Dirk looked up to. Well, Michael Finley won a championship with the Spurs before Dirk did. How about uh, Don Nelson, right? The coach who kind of taught him how to be an NBA player. Well, Nelly was kind of single-handedly responsible for one of the most humiliating defeats of all time. So it's all of these people along the way that Dirk is having to take bruises from and and defeat and knock out and it's like ghosts of christmas past it is <laughs> all along the way and it culminates in 2011 and so when he runs off the floor he's not just celebrating winning the championship he's also i, I can't even use the word celebrating i think he's just revisiting all of these moments throughout his career where he was told he's not good enough and i'm sure he believed he wasn't good enough and i mean this is a guy who after he lost in 2007 went to the australian wilderness for months and just lived in a van i mean he is he's sensitive and and self-conscious and he doubts himself just like the rest of us i don't it's just a i don't know man he's he's kind of running away from I'm sure that part of him didn't even believe that it was true, you know, or that it was real. The, and and still to this day, watching him run off the court kind of feels like a dream. It's just not – normally we see people put their hands in the air and jump up and down and, you know, hug their teammates and go find their, their mom or their wife or their, their kids. Dirk ran into the locker room shower and just started weeping on the ground. I mean, it's – I don't know. It's even almost too emotional to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, it's just... (laughs) Knowing what he had been through and the emotional toll that not being good enough had taken on him. Like, I don't know. If you don't... If you don't become the best at your job on the earth, nobody cares. Not one person cares except for... Maybe your significant other or a sibling, but still no one judges you. That's not the bar that you set for yourself, and people don't watch you publicly perform your duties every single night. Um, and then rip you if you're not the best, or make up, you know, one-and-done boys. Say or just soft really or, unfair things about him, especially yeah. him. Soft, European, yeah. front-runner, he's weak, you get in his right. face, he disappears. I mean, it's like... it's like nasty stuff talking about his character and it's like dude what yeah like how can you say these kinds of things but he was dogged by that crap like for his entire career yeah i mean he's foreign he's different if 
if he was Christian Leitner, like nobody cares, right? Like Leitner was like a top five pick or something like that, and he went on to have like a fine career in the NBA. It just wasn't like one of the best players that ever lived, and nobody cared. No one says a bad word about Christian Leitner. Not a person alive. Rips him for his NBA career. With Dirk, he was so good so soon, and the potential was so there, was there, and he's foreign, and he's carrying just... I mean, he has a country on his shoulders. He has every foreign-born player ever on his shoulders. He has the city of Dallas, who is always looking for, like, um, gratification from other outlets. That's, like, in our DNA. That's, like, what Dallas was born about, right? Dallas was... The, the history of Dallas is soaked in constantly looking to the north and going like, we're like y'all, we promise, we're as good, we're as good, we promise. It's kind of an inferiority like complex hidden beneath the Texan pride. Yeah, you know? that's that's kind of how we are. That's why we're so prideful. That's why we think, that's why we're, we stick together so much. Um, because no one gives us like a true chance. And he's like the face of Dallas. He he is. Like, I don't, I don't care about the Cowboys. You can say whatever you want. Um... He is the face of Dallas sports, and no one has ever embodied that just like in a physical <laughs> carbon footprint than that man. And that is heavy, man. Just thinking about, like, it's almost like it's not something like Americans can quite understand, I don't think. Like, I just, I just don't think I'll ever quite understand, um, like, the pride of his, of his family, of his country, um, performing on someone else's soil... And then these people just don't, on the whole, the majority of people don't accept you. <laughs> like, it's just like something that you can't quite get. If you're an American kid that says your your mom tells you you can be whatever you want whenever you grow up. You don't have to be the best. Along his rise, so many other players, Andrea Bargnani, namely, I mean, were drafted super high in the draft, touted as the next oh, him, yeah. and just fell by the wayside. Some of these guys had nice careers. Bargnani had a nice career. But because he wasn't the next Dirk, Americans just crushed the guy. And I'm sure that Dirk kind of feels a, like a respon- almost like he's responsible for that because he set the bar so high and other guys from Europe couldn't live up to it. And there's like not only does everybody poke fun at Darko Milicic for not being Dirk, but also people kind of like turn the sword back on Dirk. And they're like, why are you so good? Now everybody wants to find the next you. Like, this is your fault. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just very yeah. bizarre. I mean, he, he, set, he set the bar. And when that happens, he, I mean, he made a lot of people a lot of money <laughs> that probably didn't deserve to be drafted that high or be given that many opportunities just on their straight skill set alone. But they were all searching for the next Dirk. Like, it's, it's how do you... I don't even know. It's like che- it was like cheating the system to get him, because it's like you you hoodwinked the draft. You got the best player at at seven or nine or whatever it ended up being, um, and everybody thought that was repeatable. But it's like the exception that proves the rule, right? It's it's the anomaly. You don't try and replicate the anomaly unless you have no other choice. Which some of these teams, you know, like the Raptors back then, probably had no other choice. It's like well, whatever. Might as well swing as hard as we can um, and maybe get somebody that maybe in his 10th percentile of development turns into a Nowitzki-like player. Um, but then, like, I've said the same thing about, I mean, I've learned these lessons from Dirk, and I've said the same thing about Luka. 
if Luka doesn't succeed as the third overall pick um, and the most decorated foreign player pre-NBA that's probably ever existed, it immediately turns to, okay, what foreign-born player would succeed? If he won, you know, Euro Cup and he was been playing professional since 16, like, the next guy that's only been playing professional since 18 and didn't win, like, a Euro Cup, like, well, he can't possibly be as good. And it's a, it's a very flawed, like, sector of scouting. But if the last one that came from there didn't succeed, succeed, quote-unquote, to your liking, then you're not taking the next one as high. It's like if, you know, you drafted a Kentucky point guard, two overall. And it's almost, it's, it doesn't even make sense to do it as universities, but people do this as well, right? It's like player position according to school. Well, the last, you know, player, Kentucky point guard I drafted was De'Aaron Fox, and I took him five overall, and it didn't quite work out. So the next one that comes along, unless he's just like the greatest player you've ever seen in your life on a basketball court, yeah, I'm not taking him top five. You know, that's 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 what happens. Um, and it's a lot of weight. And it's not only for Germany or Dallas, it's for every foreign-born player ever. Um, and the greatest tribute to Dirk that anybody can ever say or ever give him is almost all of the awards last season were given to international players. That door was closed when he came in the league. There was one, two guys every other year. There was a Detlef uh, who had to be just a badass at such a young age to even get a shot. And then, you know, there's Sabonis. And there's some guys you can sprinkle in there. But those were like, you'd see it on a team and you'd go, oh, that's cool. And you'd see once every month. You'd play one team a month that had an exceptional international player. Um, like Petrovic or, you know, whoever. And... It was like a cool thing when you saw one. Now, every single team has, what, three-plus international players on it? There's one on every team that is either a European. Um, I always notice the European guys because I, I think, like, Luca has a connection to him in some fashion. Like, whenever Willie or, or Wancho, um, those dudes do not get a chance in the NBA without Dirk. They just don't. People don't dedicate the scouting to that part of the world. They don't take it seriously. You don't think any of these players can be good enough to win a championship um, and be an MVP caliber player until one does. Look at the conversation and he's around the one that Giannis. Did. Dirk won a championship, yep. and people say almost the same stuff about Giannis as they did about Dirk. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, come on, how good does this guy need to be? So, yeah, you try and wrap all that into a night or a video um, and just try and do right by him, right? Because that's kind of that's ultimately what it comes down to, man. That's kind of that's kind of what we kind of what we owe him, um, and he would never say it. He would never expect it, um, but that's kind of what I felt like we owed him. So that's how seriously I took it. I was like, this is like my life's work. Like this is what the first half of my life is like meant to be about. Like everything I've ever done um, is building towards me getting this opportunity to do this for him. Um, so the day comes around. Um, man, what it was a Tuesday, wasn't it? I believe it was a Tuesday. It was a Tuesday, and the yes. final game was on a Wednesday. Um, yep. So I'd obviously been working on these videos for, I don't know, three months. Um, 
been doing a whole lot of other stuff of like just coordinating with every department and all the stuff we put out on social that day, what the footprint of that day and what that um, campaign was going to look like. And so I think it's like maybe like four o'clock that afternoon and I had sent these videos like a week in advance. Uh, They were done. Jonathan had them. Well, we had finally nailed down that like some other company was going to do like a court projection thing, um, which is cool. I'm like, awesome. Let's, I didn't, <laughs> I'll be honest. I didn't really think it fit with what the night was going to bring. Um, the mood of the night, like, and it's still like, eh, I don't know if we needed that, <laughs> but I think the it fan, cool. I think the fans kind of enjoyed it. And yeah, well, and, it. and two, it was the, you know, after the final buzzer, they basically went on the bench, the lights turned off, and then it was that. So that was yeah. kind of like the interlude from game to setting up everything. I think there was like a countdown on it too, and yeah. it also kind of explained what forty-one twenty-one one yeah is. Yeah, that, I guess I guess in that way it was useful. But I mean, we could have made a. The, I think the halftime video kind of explained that too. Whenever it was like Allen Iverson and Dikembe Mutombo and all these people like talking about. Um, True what the 4121 meant um but it's probably like four o'clock that so this other company is like running our they basically installed projection equipment they're running a lot of like the sound and stuff for the projection um so they're gonna run the audio through the whole show um because it doesn't make sense to like switch people out in the middle of like a post-game ceremony thing um so they're running the show it's not our guy julian um, I think he was doing some, he was like running cameras, which is just like cutting back and forth between cameras. But so some production companies like to have videos in different formats, like to have audio in different formats. I didn't know what specs they needed until four o'clock, like day of. So I'm trying to go back through all these 20 edits of each video, find all the pieces of video and audio that'll link. I have to like, separate each audio track, split them with a left and right channel. I'm doing this like four that afternoon and I'm freaking out. Like, I'm like, this shit has been done for like two months. (laughs) And now we're like last minute. Like I know what specs they need. You couldn't have it any other way, man. Yeah. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be right unless I'm like absolutely panicking. Um, so I had to, I get over there like later than I wanted to. I get over there like six, maybe, which I was trying to get over there, maybe like five. And so, um, I'll just give a quick recap of like what the night, what kind of happened through my eyes. Um, so I get there, it's pretty normal. I mean, everybody on our team is pretty turnkey whenever it comes to a game night. Um, you know what you're doing downstairs crew knows what they're doing. Um, obviously there's a lot more attention, but honestly it wasn't, I think a lot of national broadcasts had gone to Dwayne Wade's game. So we didn't, we didn't have like an insane amount of extra cameras there. Like we had extra cameras. There's like, I mean, the press box is full, you know, the whole nine. Um, but that's the only thing that like kind of changes up my game nights is like, does JLM have a place to shoot? Does you know, Steve and Monica have a place to shoot on the court. Um, everything was secured. Fox seemed like they were cool. They understood the game plan. Um, and it seemed like the post-game ceremony was, you know, uh, had it all um, ironed out once I got them those videos. 
And so it's pretty much like any other game. And then I had asked the appropriate people, where are Sean Kemp, Barkley, Pippen, Bird, um, and Detlef Shrimp going to be? I'm sure they're going to be all hanging out together. Can I get in that room? And it wasn't for me. Like, I <laughs> I want to meet those guys and talk to those guys more than anything. But it's not for me. I went in there to basically get them to say stuff to Dirk um, that they couldn't otherwise probably have the opportunity. I didn't know all of them were going to speak in the post game. number one. I just thought they were going to be there and they were going to hang out afterwards. So halfway through the second quarter, I get the text that's like, they're all here. They're all in Cuban's little bunker. Um, and I'm like, okay, time to go down there and hang out with the Larry Bird and Charles Barkley and all these guys. And so I took Dalton with me as a second camera just to make sure uh, we got everything. And I get down there, and whoever's running this room, our, our people are telling me I can go in there and it's fine and just go in there for 10 minutes and pop back out. But whoever set this up, and I, you, you know who it is, but I'm not going like, to drop names because it's going to sound like they didn't know what they were doing or something. They like would not let me go in there. They were like, I was like, call whoever you need to call. I just got a text from your boss that says I'm supposed to be in that room right now. Um, but what had happened is whenever a collection of very famous people like that gets together, there are also like other famous people that want to go in there and hang out with them. So they were all having a time, like, hanging out with people that are actually probably more popular and more well-known than themselves. So it was kind of locked down um, at that moment. DJ Benga got in the room. <laughs> yeah, Benga was there. Um, and, no, I literally think, like, George W. Bush was in there. Oh, that would, see, that would yeah. explain why you couldn't go in there. Yeah. Because. <laughs> yeah, well, and, yeah. like, Cuban was in there for a while. <laughs> you got priors. Yeah. Cuban Cuban was in there for a while and like some other people and then it took literally it was like two minutes to go in the third quarter and I'm just standing in this hallway for a half hour me and Dalton and Dalton's like I got stuff to do I can't be down there the whole game and I'm like yeah I know man but we need to get this and uh it was like two minutes left in the third quarter I was like it was like some security girl um that wasn't really security it was just like somebody's assistant I was like listen I'm gonna go in there and record this with these guys, or you're going to have a conversation with Dirk after the game and tell him why we didn't get this. That's how this is going to work out. Because I've got like 10 things to do post-game, and I've been waiting here for 35 minutes. She was like, I was like, here's your boss on the phone right now. Let me in there. Um, so everybody had, had already cleared out, and they were like, okay, 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 okay. And uh, so I go in there, and you know, Barkley's just on the couch, Pippin's on the couch, uh, Detlef's on the couch watching the game and just, they're just, you know, shooting the S. Um, and Sean Kemp was over there, like, getting a soda or something. And I was, you know, I'm trying to knock that out as quick as possible. I'm not trying to go in there, hey guys, what's up? I'm this person, blah, blah, blah. And so I walk in and I, they all just kind of turn around and see who it is, see if it's, you know, another president or something. And it's just me and my. Extremely disappointed yeah, to see you. Me and my dirt throwback jersey and my hoodie. And uh, I walk in, I'm like, hey guys, um, I'm the director of digital with the Mavs. Um, can I get like one minute with y'all? Some stuff for Dirk, just that I can send him or use whenever. And 
all of them were like, oh, cool, cool, we'll just, like, turn around, didn't even, like, pay attention to me, and I just walked straight up to Sean Kemp, <laughs> and I go, oh, my God, you're Sean Kemp, <laughs> and he goes, he's super nice, such a sweet guy, like, just genuinely sweet dude, and he's just, like, laughing, he's got a big, goofy laugh, and uh, he's, like, he's like, yeah, man, and I was like, can I give you a hug, and he's like, yeah, and so I gave <laughs> Sean Kemp a hug, um, and I was like, dude, like, I was so excited whenever Dirk told me he was a fan of yours, like, because I'm a Sean Kemp guy, like, watching Sean Kemp dunk and play in those supersonic teams with Gary Payton in, like, his first couple years was, that's not even basketball, man, that's like, that's like a freaking EDM show with, like, <laughs> like, it's like drugs. It's an experience, it's yeah. an experience. Yeah, watching Sean Kemp just, just jump higher than anybody else could jump and just yam on people with no regard for human life was like, it was an, ex it's, it's drugs. Like you can watch that and I'll still get hype like right now. Um, and so I talked to him and I'm like, Hey man, what's your first memory of Dirk? And he like, he's awesome. He gives me great answers. And then, uh, and the guys just like start lining up after that. Like, I don't even have to ask them. Like I just did Sean Kemp's and then Larry Bird's like sitting next to me. And he's like, Hey, you want me to go? Yeah. Larry Bird. How are you? Like, let's, let's talk. <laughs> And I'm asking him these questions, and I'm sure my voice is like, <laughs> like just shaking uncontrollably. And Dalton's like freaking out. He's like stuttering as he's like, "Yeah, I'm ready. Uh, let's go." And I'm like, "I'm like, all right, man." And I, so somehow I get out sentences that are coherent, and ask them like, first memory of Dirk. Um, how cool is it that his career has ended up this way? Um, and you know, do you want to say anything to him, like personally? Um, and all of them were really cool about it and all of them answered all the questions very thoughtfully and long-winded and gave me stuff to use. Um, Detlef is such a sweet guy. Like that guy's crazy. Um, he just wanted to like talk about everything. He was like, he was just talking to me and I'm like, dude, I'd stay in here all night and talk to Detlef Shrimp, but like Barkley's waiting and Pippin's Detlef waiting. Detlef is the man. Yeah. And Barkley was so cool. Like that guy was great. Um, and then Pippin as well. And I'm like, like, I just, I can't believe I'm in this room. I can't believe I just got to do that. Um, so that's over. And that's, it's like the fourth quarter at that time. So I missed a lot of the game. Like, I'm excited to watch it tonight. <laughs> um, and so I get back, and I'm not going back up there to sit with you uh, in the press box. I'm going to Radio Row, which is lower bowl on the edge. And because I know Jake has a seat there, but Jake had actual seats, uh, ticketed seats, so he could sit with his wife. Um, at the game and getting tickets for everybody was really cool too like the people I mean we only had what, we got like four each I think if if that I think it was two man I ended it up getting four that game. I ended up getting four somehow I don't remember how but Chuck and his dad when who, you have senior in your title you can do whatever <laughs> you want so yeah. it's, a, it's a nice flex my buddy my buddy Chuck and his dad were in town and they're like I used to write at Dallas basketball, Chuck. So I was like, dude, you got to go. You got to, you and your dad got to go. Um, and then my wife, and then one of my best friends, Mark Hedman. Um, I got, getting them tickets was awesome. Like just seeing, making other people's like month was like so cool. Um, but then going down to Radio Row, and I get down there, and there's like Jake's seat, and <laughs> Damaris is to my left, and Mike Reiner's to my right. And I'm down there watching the fourth quarter and realizing Jamal Crawford has like 100 points. Um, and you know, I'm just trying to enjoy the game and trying to like still talk to everybody online and 
you know, we still have to do like <laughs> third quarter score updates and all that kind of stuff. Like we still have to do stuff. I'm still working. Um, and then the game ends and I'm like, okay, I've sent the last thing that I'm going to send. I'm closing the laptop. So I close the laptop. I put it away. The countdown starts. I think it was like eight or ten minutes that they needed to switch over for the court projection. And um, so they're watching the court projection. And then I know I know the sequence. I know the playlist. I know in the order of these things that's going to happen. And so I know the next two videos are my videos, like things that I made. Um, and I watched the the forty one twenty one one video start, and I'm like shaking. Like, I don't ever, like, I have the steadiest hands, like, I don't care, I do get ner- I do get nervous, obviously, like a normal person, but, I don't know, I just don't have that, 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 that reflex, like, I just, I don't know, I just, athletes are athletes, like, unless I'm around, like, all the greatest athletes on earth, like I just was, like, 30 minutes prior to that, <laughs> I don't get freaked out, um, and I'm, like, shaking, my hands are shaking, I can't sit still, Damaris is, like, holding my arm, and Reiner's, like, trying to give me like a sideways hug the whole time and I'm watching it and like everybody is like ooing and awing and like cheering and like almost crying at the perfect moments of that video and I was like whoa and I didn't know um you know when you make when you make a video number one you know how it's going to look online you know how it's going to look to people that watch it like natively how, can you hear everything in arena like do you know what's happening like do people get it um and just worried about the logistics of it too. Like, is the audio gonna be messed up? Like, what's gonna happen? So that plays, and everyone, the whole arena, just like erupts. The final like thirty seconds of that video, I'm just like having a meltdown. <laughs> like, I was, I was crying. I was absolutely crying. Um, and then the next video starts. The influences one, and that's the one I really wanted to see because I wanted to see him realize like. I remember recording this. Why the hell are we playing this right now? And Dirk even said that to me afterwards. He was like, he was like, I was wondering why the hell we're playing this. And then he sees, you know, the guy from uh, 24 voice starts introducing those players and they start walking out. And he's like, oh, what? These dudes are here. They're There's here. Very cool pictures of the bench during that video where everybody on the, because the, the whole, the whole Mavericks roster is still on the floor watching yeah. this. And the Suns, yeah. And, yeah, and you can see them kind of like they're looking up and then they sort of look to the side and then their mouths get wider, their eyes get bigger and they're like lo- poking each other like and yeah. pointing and it is the coolest. It's just like this five second moment, but yeah, it's really cool. It's yeah. really cool. Watching him realize like why I beat him down that day to record this because it's going to be played right now in this video that's up there that's introducing like your five favorite players ever. And then, I mean, everybody else has seen the rest of it. I mean, they've seen the ceremony, right? Um, and they'll see it tonight again. Um, Jonathan Kornblith did an awesome job um, just making that run smoothly. And then, um, you know, Rick starts talking, Mark starts talking, and then Dirk gets out there and says, you know, final home game. Um, and does his thing, and everyone knows those parts, but, like, we still had to go to San Antonio the next night, or that night, <laughs> and I was on that trip, like, I'm on the team plane that night, and, uh, so we get, get to San Antonio, and I'm just exhausted, like, I can't sleep, but I'm also exhausted, and I don't think I went to bed till, like, I don't know, three thirty four that night, 
because he saw to do a press conference. We didn't get to San Antonio until like 12.30 or 1 or something, which never happens whenever we go to San Antonio on a plane. We're there at like 10.45. Um, eat something on the plane. I just like, I don't think I said a word on the entire plane. Like some people walked by and just like said hi and stuff. And I'm just like in shock, just like staring at the back of this seat. I don't think I watched anything. I don't think I said a word. I think I just stared and just like tried to remember every moment that had just happened. Um, and you know, you see him get on the plane and like, this is wild. Um, and then the next night is his actual fi- final game. Um, in San Antonio, which was equally as emotional, but I didn't have a part in putting it together, so I don't know, like, what's coming, and, you know, him getting teary-eyed about the, um, the Spurs tribute was pretty awesome, and then him having, you know, 20 and 10, and a lot of, I mean, there were so many Mavs people there, um, as well, that was really cool, um, a lot of people were just, like, (laughs) there to see the game and, like, party and stuff like that, and I'm like, yeah, still working, um, but, it was still really cool, and then the moment I'll never ever forget that like made the whole thing for me is number one getting on the bus to head out of there that night. Cause doing the post game press conference was cool because um, it's actually like a small room in San Antonio, um, and just seeing him get dressed in his suit and come out and talk to everybody for the last time, and, and then do German media stuff, and then walking like next to him to the bus, and I get on the bus and he steps on for a second and walks back off. Um, and what he was doing is going to grab like a bunch of German beers. <laughs> and so we're on the bus leaving whatever the, uh, San Antonio arena is called. at and Yeah. And we're about to leave and he gets on the bus and starts handing out these German beers. It's probably like his favorite beer. Um, and walks by and either like shakes everybody's hand or like cheers them with this German beer. And, uh, I just cheers and I go, thank you, man. Thank you. Um, and, you know, he's just like, uh, what? okay, what happened? He comes on the bus, he's got these beers. And he's handing them out. And he's, he, goes, he goes, one more year, one more year, one more year. And then he goes, ha, 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 F that. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like shaking everybody's hand and cheersing him with these beers. And, you know, we fly home. There's the water cannon thing at um, Love Field where we get word of that, like, midair, or we got word of that before we left, that, like, there's gonna be, like, a water cannon show, that, like, they're gonna get these giant fire trucks and spray down the airplane as we drive through, and Dirk's gonna sit in the cockpit the whole time, and so Jalen went up there to film that, um, weirdly enough, whenever, you'll, you'll know why this happened, but this is the first thing that, time that happened to me, whenever we're leaving the San Antonio Hotel, I give my bag to, like, a busboy, and you know they're overly nice, and they're just like, "Oh, put it on the put it on the bus for you, sir." And I'm like, "Sure." Like I always want my bag on the bus, just because I don't want anybody else to lift my crap. I don't want anybody else to have to deal with any of my stuff. Like I don't throw it on the luggage truck. Um, I just travel with it because it's just a carry on and whatever. Especially if it's a one nighter to San Antonio. And so um, I hand my bag to the bus boy at the San Antonio hotel, and he goes, "Put it on the bus for you." And I'm like, sure, man. So anyway, we're at the arena, and I'm like, uh, I don't know where my bag is. I think it's on the luggage truck. That sucks. And so might have been for a reason. When we get off the plane, I go, you know, players get off first, whatever. Um, and so I got to go figure out where the luggage is. Never done this before the entire season. I've done on like five trips. And so it, it's pretty simple. It's not 
rocket science or anything. Um, but you just got to get off the plane. You got to walk over to the little ramp that has luggage coming down. And I'm walking underneath the plane, and I can, like, see kind of the other side of the wheel. And who's walking right at me just by themselves, just, like, carrying their luggage? It's Dirk. And so we stop underneath the plane, and I go, hey, man, did we surprise you with, uh, with Kemp and all those guys? He goes, oh, my God, yeah. He's like, I had no idea. I was like, why are we playing this video? And uh, I was like, that was great. Um, and uh, I don't even remember what I said to him next, but I just said, man, thank you. Thank you. Like, thank you for showing us, like, how to act, <laughs> how, to be, how to be men and everything like that. And uh, he's, he just kind of laughed. He's like, yeah, man, uh, crazy two days. And I, I was like... I was like, I want to give, I want to give you a hug and say bye. Is that all right? And he's like, yes. So I gave him a big hug, and uh, I said, all right, man. Well, I'm sure there's fans out there wanting autographs and crap. So, thanks. And that was it. That was the the last time I think I've talked to him. Really? Yeah. I guess. Yeah, he hasn't really been around, has he? No. No. He has not been around. I mean, he's he's in Dallas still. Um, he did have his tennis event and, and his foundation. Oh, yeah, I talked uh, about the tennis thing, still, but not much. Yeah, his, his foundation is still really active, especially right now with a lot of the uh, you know, COVID-19 response and stuff. But he's maintained a really low profile. I don't think he's been um, in the office since that day, maybe, what, more than once or twice? Yeah. He popped in every now and right, right before his yeah, right before, like right after the off season started last year, he came in for a little bit. I think probably just to do some paperwork or something. Yeah. Um, before he went to Europe, but yeah, he's been kind of just like that. He was gone, and that really was a whirlwind of a two days too. And so, dude, you know, when it ended, it was I, I don't know. It was just like it happened, and then it was over. Um, yeah. And then of course, exit interviews happened the day after. Yeah. And it was took all day. Yeah, but just Every, like everyone's that. just exhausted. <laughs> yeah, but it, it it was it was a very much kind of a I don't know turn over a new leaf sort of thing. The entire season, what started as a season about the future, quickly turned into a season about the past, and then the past ended. Yeah, and and it was immediately on to the next thing. It was it was it was time for Luca and KP. Yeah, and uh, so it was very, it was very fast how 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 it ended. But I think that's kind of like the ultimate Dirk kind of thing. Uh, he was around for twenty one years, but it almost felt like he was our little secret for more than half of that time. No one ever really realized how good he was, or how important he was, or how meaningful he was until he finally won a championship, which I feel is pretty ironic because. His career was a testament to that. There's a whole lot more to sports than just uh, winning titles. But and then uh, the season, the first season after he's gone, Luca becomes this top five player in the league. And so now it's like, do you even remember yeah. what it was like whenever Dirk was playing here? Because it's yep. it's just such a it, t- it seems like a totally foreign situation. Uh, yeah. No, it's, I, I thought, I mean, I, you know that day is going to come at some point. I thought for, like, years afterwards, we would just, like, be looking back every day going, remember that, remember when we had that guy? Remember how crazy times were and how cool that was? But, I mean, on most nights, most game nights, or, you know, I'm, I'm 
thinking about what Luca's doing. We're that we're that lucky. Like you don't So many so many of us are, yeah. It's it's all about Luca. Yeah. I find myself the times whenever I really think about kind of how much I miss him as a player, as a person to look up to. I mean, because like you know, that 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 guy was my hero for all my childhood. I mean, he was my idol. Mm-hmm. Um it's kind of like little times is when I think about him, especially like whenever they lost in New York mm-hmm. and, and that you had people yelling at KP to go back to Latvia and, and the season. I, I know that night was kind of a breaking point for a lot of fans, even though it was only the like 11th game of the season or something. Um, I was like, man, I really miss him right now because He's just kind of the steadying force. Uh, when things are when things are bad, I miss him, and when things are really really good, I miss him too. No. All the all the in between, it's just the day, the normal day to day rigors of basketball life and NBA fandom, and you know enjoying Luca and KP and everything that they represent, kind of like individually. But there are those times when they win five in a row, or when they lose a really tough game, or whenever you know there are a lot of fans that are just really pissed off about this that or the other and i'm just like man it would not be this way if dirk was still here you know mm-hmm. and uh that's kind of the i wouldn't say that's tough i'd say that's kind of beautiful in a way but i definitely a- a- as much as things have moved on i still definitely miss him at from time to time yeah for sure there's definitely instances where i'm like i would just it's not even like has anything to do with performance or what the team's happening with the team. There are just moments where I'm like, I would really like to hear Dirk's idea, ideas about this. I'd like to just like hear his voice right now. Like, tell me like what's going on. Um, I'd like to make him have to like talk to the media after this game, you know? Um, but just to be, they were going to go to the playoffs this year. I mean, they still yeah. might, we'll see what happens, but like, Dirk didn't get to go to the playoffs for his last three years. Yeah, that's crazy. Like that's I, absolutely. I crazy. want him to be. I want him to be here. You know, yeah. I, I want him to be in the building if Luca and KP ever win a championship. I want him to be there. Yeah, I want him to get a ring. You yeah. Know? I mean, he might, man. He might be working for us next year. Who knows? Like, you never know. I mean, Finley came With back. Luck, he'll replace you as my boss. <laughs> yeah, that's that'll be perfect. Uh, you know, Finley came back. I expect JJ will be here for a really long time. Dirk um, has said, like, he said a couple times, like, down the road, maybe, you know, I'm going to take a year or two off and we'll see what's happening after that. Uh, see if I get bored of staying home and eating ice cream and, you know, building bounce houses and stuff. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, I don't think that many people in sports, people do this job and this, they, dedicate themselves to this crazy industry in which you don't get holidays off and you don't, you know, you probably work 60 hours a week during season and, um, you know, one in five of you that you graduate with actually get to work in this um, market. A lot of people do this and never get to experience something like that. They might have, like, a cool moment of, like, oh, man, I got to talk to Brett Favre one time. Like, cool. Um, (laughs) They just don't... They are not as lucky as us, and most marketplaces do not have a player like that that is just so easily lovable and teaches everybody that watches him on a day-to-day, minute-to-minute basis 
how to act like a man. How to be respectable, dignified, smart, caring. Um, I mean, just people on earth that fit that qualification, there's not that many of them. Um, and to be the greatest athlete to ever play uh, in Dallas is... That's, it's, it's crazy that those two things exist in the same person. And what I remember most from that night, from being at that game is of course my own emotions and and how I was feeling but I was sitting in the same section you were talking about the radio row and um, normally I sit in the press box which is kind of removed from the fans but that night there was no room so I sat down there and just any time a video played I would kind of look around and I'm seeing 20,000 people crying you know and or, or laughing or remembering and part of the beauty of this guy being around for 21 years is that there are people of all ages who have vivid memories of seeing him play, whether it's from the last year or maybe all the way from 20 years ago, and walking around the arena and going into the fan shop beforehand and going, my, my family came to the game, so I went and talked to them for a little while, just walking around um, before the game and during the game, I saw so many familiar faces. I've been going to Mavs games since they were playing at Reunion Arena, and I saw so many people that night who I just remember seeing from the 90s or from the thousands or from the finals run or just from the last couple of years, people that are on Twitter that I know, just people from all over my life, right, from my childhood up until yesterday are at this game, people that have meant a lot to me and that you know, whatever I, I, I've have really strong relationships with, but kind of the unifying bond for all of us is our love and respect and admiration for Dirk. And so getting to be the smallest part of that night uh, and, and getting to see them experience it was really meaningful to me. And, um, you know, I don't know, that's just something that I'll remember for a long time is how many people that were at the game that I knew and how many people maybe came out of their Mavs retirement in a way that haven't been to a game for a long time, but made sure they were in the building for that night because that's the only night that matters is getting to say thank you for Dirk. And before the game, two hours before the game, seeing hundreds and thousands of arena employees line up in the parking garage so that they could say thank you to him, even though it was his idea to do it so that he could thank them. And that's the thing about Dirk that is so amazing is that he wanted to say thank you to like ushers and security guards and concession salespeople that he's never even met but he wanted to make sure that he had the chance to say thank you to them and and that is like that is the ultimate this guy is not only a great person but he is he is the kind of person that you want to look up to and that you want to give this hero's farewell to because it's not about him it's never been about him but on this night every single one of us is going to make it about you because it's what you deserve after 21 years of giving literally all you have giving us your your body your mind your soul your knees your ankles all the heartbreaks all the humiliations just the public ripping sessions that everybody would go to uh would would take out against you um it was all worth it to us and hopefully it was worth it to you and uh i don't know it was it was that's that's why that night was so important to me because we all had to do it for him we had to do it perfectly for him because 
If there's one person who has ever walked the face of the earth who deserved a perfect night, it was that guy. Yeah. I think Mark said it extremely well that night that, you know, he made a bunch of promises to him, but the one that, you know, it's something you're doing anyway that you don't even realize, and then someone puts a label on it, and you're like, oh, my God, that makes so much sense, is, you know, I promise to take the lessons you taught us and pass them along to next Mavs fan, to Luca, to anybody that wants to be a part of this thing. Um, that's that's the one thing that I'm like, yeah, that's my whole deal too. Because <laughs> if you're gonna look up to somebody of who to how to be, just how to exist, how to treat people, that guy. But it doesn't mean any, anything if we don't tell everybody about it. Um, it's it's a gospel, like it's it is what it is, you know. It's 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 a uh, it's the book of Eli. It's like it's it's how it works. It doesn't work unless you tell everybody about it. Um, and if you don't share what he taught us, then it dies with this generation. And that would be that'd be just terrible in my mind. So anyway, I think we did. A, I think we did a good. I think we did a good one year ago <laughs> for him. Yeah, and God, this is just the one year. Holy crap. Yeah. 2024 is going to come around. It'll be like five years. Jeez. <laughs> five Let's go for six years. hours. Yeah. This is going to hit you hard. Um, yeah. And I know he's he did an episode of uh, Damaris' podcast with him and Followell today, and he's doing some Fox stuff tonight. So you'll get to see the man, hear the man, uh, and hope you enjoy all the stuff we're putting out today and watch the game tonight and get all emotional again. And remember what it was like a year ago, and remember why we do this. Um, but uh, yeah, man, I could talk about this for three hours, and we've almost done two hours, so I guess we should probably give people some time to listen to it. Um, but yep. yeah, yeah, thanks. enjoy the game tonight, man. I've I've never seen it on TV either. Yeah, um, I've only seen it at the game. I have not gone back to rewatch any of those speeches because for a while it was I was a little too tender about it. Um, so I'm looking forward to taking in the entire thing tonight. Same. I'm going to I'm going to sit down and my eyes are going to be glued to the TV for 3 hours and I'm going to love every second of it. Likewise. Well, it's a uh, it's a Texas holiday, so everybody have a good time. Um go get some drive-through margaritas if you want and just sit down and have a great evening. Um and enjoy what happened a year ago and celebrate that man. Um all right, Bobito. Thanks, man. Thank you to Texas Ford dealers as well. Um and uh Follow us all day. It'll be a really fun, really emotional, exciting day again. So thanks, bud.